Hello, and welcome to the Alcahunt Podcast, the podcast that says, Happy Birthday, Beth. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. And since your birthday's coming up, I thought you could use a little religion. So I'm going to read you an excerpt. I need Jesus. You might, but this is before Jesus, just so we're clear. I'm going to read you an excerpt from the the Bible, the New International Version. We're going to read uh, Exodus 28, uh, verses 15 through 32. The breast piece. Fashion a breast piece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of purple, or of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square. A span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis, luzia, and emerald. The third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve pri- or tribes. Excuse me, poor reading. We're not going to read all the way to thirty. We'll read to twenty-two. I- I'm confused as to what this has to do with my birthday. Everything it has everything to do with your birthday, and my birthday, and everybody listening's birthday. The connections between the twelve gemstones and the twelve signs of the zodiac were made by both uh, Flavius Joseph in the first century Common Era. Ah. And St. Jerome, 5th century common era. It was said that wearing these stones at the right times would provide an individual with benefits. So, you would have 12 gemstones and wear one with the appropriate sign that's ascending in the zodiac. This is like the Vedic tradition of India, in which nine gems are assigned to the nine planets, and you wear the appropriate one based on your current circumstance, depending on if you're not feeling well or if you need money or whatever. Okay. Okay. Now, modern ideas of birthstones can be traced back to the 18th century in Poland when Jewish gem traders arrived in the country. I like gems. We got to birthstones. Wasn't that a roundabout path? In 1912, the National Association of Jewelers finally defined the list of birthstones. Up until then, it was kind of up in the air, and they were all over the place. (laughs) But the National Association of Jewelers is an American organization, of course. Now, I want to tell you about each of the most common gemstones as ascribed by the list. However, some months have, have two, two or three. There are three months with three. But we're only going to talk about... I didn't know about, that. I knew there were two. I didn't know there were, were three. For we're going to talk about one from each month. I'm not going into the other ones. Okay. Garnet. It's the best gemstone. It's most... Uh, disagreeance. Commonly red, and it symbolizes peace and prosperity. And good luck. Mm-hmm. That's why I married you. You're my good luck charm. Boy, you chose poorly. It also used to be used as a talisman by warriors going into battle to war and to ward off plague. See, what I'm doing here is I'm telling you the modern representation, and then I'm telling you some of the things that it used to be used for. Ward off the plague and pestilence. I don't want the plague. 
Or the no, pestilence. Nobody wants that. Um, in February, we have amethyst. It's actually a purple quartz. I like purple. And it symbolizes peace, courage, and stability. It's said to keep the wearer clear-headed and quick-witted. And, and tying in with an earlier podcast, St. Valentine may have had an amethyst ring carved with Cupid in it. Aww. Yeah, isn't that nice? I got a pagan god, I'm a saint. <laughs> something. Uh, aquamarine. Woohoo! Light greenish to Dirty blue. blue. To bluish green. I don't it see any green. It's a preserves dirty or enhances blue, the health of the wearer. Light blue. It's said to guarantee safe voyage, especially among sailors. And cool I the get temper. Seasick. It's it's to cool the temper. Are you wearing that right? Uh <laughs> so you could remain level headed? Are you sure you've got that on the right finger? <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. Although this represents my son, not me. Yeah, no. No, he's not even tempered. <laughs> he gets all mad about the littlest things, but then the big things he's like, eh, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe he should listen to this podcast. You, you making a casserole? Got some vegetables? I'm good. <laughs> Diamond is next, and it ranges in colors. It's not that sparkly, bright white. It can be any color. It is the hardest of the gemstones, and I go to the gym so much that I actually spelled gemstone with a Y there. <laughs> okay. Well, you know where my head's at. It's made of pure carbon. It's the only one of these that is actually a single solitary element. And it, originally, it was thought to be made of lightning. Really? Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, I got some lightning. It was thought in the ancient times to have healing powers. You know, speaking of it... lightning, sorry to go off topic here, but like in the movie Sweet Home Alabama where they'd have, where lightning struck in the sand, the sand and there and were those. They made glass sculptures. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Yeah, I suppose, I guess you could draw the parallel there if you were an ancient person because they got a lot of these things confused with other things. I guess it doesn't really lay into what you're talking about. But when you spoke well, of a lightning thing, that's what well, it made me think of. That's solid, but, you know, diamonds have to be created by immense pressure. Diamonds they, are a girl's best friend. You take pure carbon and you compress it so much that it stops being black and it becomes a clear substance. I mean, that's, it's way down be below the surface of the earth. It's got some oomph behind it. You don't just make that by squeezing the chunk of charcoal in your hand really tight. <laughs> I don't or think cool. that would work so well. The next one is emerald. It's a brilliant green gem. I've got some of those. And it symbolizes protection. And it was thought to cure epilepsy and cure stomach problems. Little cool historical side note. Cleopatra claimed all of the emerald mines in Egypt as her own during her reign because she loved them so much. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Um, the next one is Pearl, which is not actually a gem, obviously. It's created inside of a mollusk. What was the other stone? Do you remember for Pearl? No, we're not dealing with that. We're okay. dealing with the most common ones. Sorry. Probably Tanzanite, because they wanted that for like five months. Seriously. Like the Tanzanite lobby, like lobbied for Tanzanite to be involved with a bunch of months. <laughs> Yeah. 
They're like, seriously, everybody needs some Tanzanite. Wouldn't you want to wake up with some Tanzanite? Yeah, there were slogans and everything. I'm like, stop. I'm not even talking about you. You're pushy. But <laughs> it's a creamy-colored opalescent little round ball. They're made. hard to take care of. Because they're so soft. And they're made in layers. They're not like other gems that are... I broke a pearl. Mm-hmm. But they symbolize purity and innocence. And that's you, baby. Oh, I'm so pure but and innocent. They were thought to be the tears of gods in many ancient cultures. It, it spanned the globe. Or it was thought that they were carried in the mouths of dragons and you had to slay the dragon. <gasps> that's so to, cool. To get the pearls. Yeah. I feel like some of these... You know, oyster farmers should be like, from the mouths of dragons. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I'd be embellishing the heck out of that. Next up is the ruby. It's the fiery red. You have Not to sign papers to cross um, continent lines with those. Well, I suppose. But they're a fiery red instead of just a red due to chromium in them. I love chrome. Oh, yeah. Chrome. Have me a ruby. Um,. They uh, represent your life force, vitality, and blood. That so far seems appropriate for my ruby. (laughs) Said to amplify energy and awareness and to promote courage. Oh, that doesn't promote my ruby. (laughs) (laughs) What are you trying to say? I'm speaking of my children when I say I have these things. I have a mother's ring. She was born in all of these months, people. Don't let her fool (laughs) you. She's, She's a demigorgon or something. You'd like to know, wouldn't you? You were a harpy, but whatever. (laughs) The next one, sardonyx. It's a reddish stone with white bands. And they look really cool. I don't know that I can picture that. Um, You remember the closest thing I can think of? The tiger's eye necklace? Yes. Okay, it's like that. It's got different bands of... Oh, cool. Yeah, but it's reddish instead of the goldish. Um, it's said to aid clear thinking com- and communication, so it's worn by a lot of people, like I should be wearing it right now, apparently, who do public speaking. <laughs> the Romans used it for wax imprints, though, because for some reason, hot wax will not stick to it. So they'd make their seals with it. How cool is that? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Who found that? Some guy had a job. Stick this in wax. See if the wax comes off. He starts off with, like, just a brick no <laughs> cobblestone no he just goes through all these things like here's some horse poop nope nope now there's waxy horse poop on the table you know speaking of that too i think wax seals are awesome they truly are cool they're a very outdated thing now i think they're neat but the whole idea of it it's really cool to be able to see if it's been opened or looked at it's, it's really hard to wax seal an email though well, later like, on, when I get on to my topic. When you DM a uh, Facebook message, you know, put a wax seal on your phone. <laughs> that won't work. My phone's already mad at me. I don't think I can wax it. All right. <laughs> don't wax your phone. <laughs> it's like, my brows game's on point. <laughs> and the next one is sapphire. Royal blue. Or not. It's literally any color other than red, then it's classified as ruby. The most common one is sapphire. Really? Yeah. The... So, what was the heart of the ocean? What do you say, Titanic girl? I say sapphire. 
it was apparently but still I mean that R.I.P. Bill Paxton jeez Beth way to bring the podcast down wow. no we're honoring him by talking about him man that was that was not his best role but he was okay I saw that movie more than any other movie he was in well you know he was the only actor that I can think of that was killed by an alien the Predator and the Terminator he was he was in the Terminator nobody even knows it he's one of the punks I don't know have you ever seen the first Terminator yeah we watched it he's one of the punks he's the guy with the mohawk the Terminator offs right at the beginning he I want to watch it again though to look for him yeah he takes his clothes that's whose clothes he takes yeah dude you didn't even know well I didn't know that was Bill Paxton he was a lot younger then <laughs> yeah it was about 30 years ago <laughs> Well, I guess he was a lot younger any time now. More than 30 years ago. Okay, sorry. Continuing <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm sidetracking us a lot tonight. It symbolized uh, heaven and attracted divine favor and judgment. Dun, dun, dun. In ancient times, of course. Now, it's just the name of a dragon in a book written by a homeschooled kid. Those books are pretty good. I liked those books. The, the movies, not so much. I should, well, there was we're, only We're talking one. about Aragon. I should read those again. Yeah, they were pretty good. I have to find them all. Opal. We have like seven bookshelves, so you're just going to have to look. I know. Opal diffracts light and shows multiple colors. And it is associated with good luck or bad luck. You know, if you're not born in October and wear it. Really? Yeah. Don't get crazy with your opal. But people used to think that it possessed all the other gemstones' powers because of its color-changing properties. It is a pretty stone. It is. I got some opal earrings from... They're sparkly. ...when your aunt passed away, and they are beautiful. They are. It's a very cool gem, really. And I'm pretty sure... Now, I might be wrong here. I'm going on a limb. That I read that it's got some water content going on. Like, different uh, mines have different water content. It's one of the only minerals that actually still contains liquid water. Really? Yeah. I might be wrong. That might be a different one. But I'm pretty sure it was opal. Because, you know, how when I'm doing research and I'm trying to talk about things that everybody's interested in, I get, like, sucked into the science. Opal, I know, is not the only option for that month. No. Because the other color is a pink color for that month. Because yes, but, the opal's very hard to cut. But like I said... I know. I'm just saying. Next up, we got topaz. And not the mercury topaz. Boo! <laughs> Junk cars. Ford Tempo and mercury topaz. Hmm. It'll be an investment in my kid's future, said my mom. She had a Tempo, not a topaz. Until you ran it through the garage... I wish it would have had the power to make it all the way through. What a piece of turd. <laughs> okay, it's a yellowish gem, but can come in other colors. And it's said to represent wisdom and longevity. However, during the Renaissance, people believed that it could break spells and calm the angry. Maybe I should start wearing it. <laughs> I don't think it's going to help at this point. Thanks for the support. Yeah, I'm here to help. And last, but not least, turquoise. 
It's a powdery blue to greenish robin eggs blue. And it's the only gem on the list that actually has a color, like, officially recognized as the color of the uh, gem. You can have ruby red, but you don't just have ruby. Okay, I there have another question for you, and I don't know that you know the answer to this. Seven. You that's were going to ask e- how many dwarves there were. No, that's not even impossible. Okay. It's not even impossible. <laughs> how many of these gemstones and such that you have listed are naturally made? Twelve. Okay, because most of them aren't naturally made anymore, though, for things that... Well, like, December, you could also... Or, not December. December has three other stones, but Zircon could be one. And a lot of things that can be synthesized are. You can make synthetic diamond. Which, I guess the only reason I'm asking this and even have any knowledge of it is from when we bought my mother's ring. Right. And all of the stones on my mother's ring, other than the ruby, are synthetic stones. Yeah. So you can synthesize almost anything. If they can synthesize diamond, which is the hardest gem on this list, followed by ruby, they can synthesize all of the rest. So how naturally but, found are any of these things? Well, they're all gems, so they're all rare. To be a gemstone, it has to have a certain amount of rarity to it. Otherwise, pyrite would be worth a lot of money, and I would have been a made man as a little kid because <laughs> fool's gold was all over the place. I remember having fool's gold and thinking it was the most amazing thing in the world. Till you went to bite it and see how soft it was and broke your teeth, right? Yeah, no, I never tried to bite it. Well, you're no good gold miner then. I honestly don't try to bite any of my gold. But I have issues with my gold that I keep bending it. You're too rough on things. Um, Anywho, Beth, it does grant power and protection to its wearer, allegedly. And some people used to think that it would change color to warn of impending danger. You know other things that change color that I think are amazing? Mood rings? Yes! They, They just change by temperature. No, my sister's always dead. Well... That's because she's cold, I guess. She's black all the time. Although I'm blue a lot of the time. Daba dee daba die. <laughs> but really, that's all I'm going to go into as far as birthstones go. But on a little anecdotal note, you know those books that you can get that are customized stories with your name in it? Yes. When I was a very small boy, somebody had a book made for me. And I went to Mother Goose Land with my dead dog. and He wasn't dead at the time. And someone else who I don't remember who was in the book, because it's been years. But uh, old King Cole, he had some garnets he was rocking. I was like, hey, that's my birthstone in the book. I don't remember this. I'm glad I had a scribe. <laughs> but yeah, so old King Cole had my birthstone. What up now, Beth? That's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. You know, speaking along the lines of what you were talking about, and I've mentioned my mother's ring, you know, birthstone rings and memory rings and or memory jewelry has become quite the fashionable It's true. accessory. Because jewelry does come in, out of, in and out of style, even though it really shouldn't because it just goes around in circles. 
Well, my mother's ring is completely different looking than what my grandmother's mother's ring looked like. That's because you're gaudy. Thanks. You're welcome. You have purple hair. Colors are awesome. And? Actually, my grandma's ring was a lot sparklier than mine. I All picked right. mine. All right. Mine's the listeners are getting looking. embarrassed for me. You might as well move on. <laughs> All right. Well, neither snow bye, nor bye. rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. You're talking about the IRS. <laughs> no. Um, this is the motto inscribed on New York's James Farley post office. And it's just a motto. It's not actually a pledge that the U.S. postal carriers have to take. That's not true. In the movie The Postman, Ford Lincoln Mercury makes everyone recite that. And they go. <laughs> they go and deliver the mail. Okay? One of the best post-apocalyptic movies of all time, The Postman. Check it out, folks. It is. And actually, it plays into what I'm talking about. The Postal one, Service is a fading thing in this day and age. Well, one thing I want to talk about quick about that movie. You know how he finds the dead mailman and he lights a fire with a Zippo? Yeah. Yeah, that Zippo. The fluid would be gone. The guy's a skeleton. It would have evaporated. This is ago. why watching movies with you sometimes isn't fun because you're like, yeah, that's not real. Well, why didn't he find a Bic? That would have been totally, totally fine. But he found a Zippo. I've had a lot of Zippos. You let it sit for two years. Long enough for a man to become a skeleton. That's probably longer than two years, <laughs> honestly, because he was in a car. It's not like things were eating him. And then, oh, oh nope, it fired right up. Oh, three strikes, boom. The magic of Hollywood, my love. Well, I hope that when the apocalypse happens that we have Hollywood magic going on. Otherwise, I'm going to be rubbing sticks together and stuff. <laughs> You know how to do that, though, so I think we're That's okay. That's a little beside the point. <laughs> um, in 1691, Thomas Neal was able to receive a 21-year patent from the British Crown to help create a North American Postal Service. Probably good. On February 17, 1691, the Joint Sovereigns, William and Mary, empowered Thomas to erect, settle, and establish within the chief parts of the Majesty's colonies and plantations in America, an office or offices for receiving and dispatching letters and packages, and to receive, send, and deliver the same under such rates and sums of money as the planters shall agree to give, and to hold and enjoy the same for the term of 21 years. Well, that sounds like a pretty solid plan. You just blew on the microphone for no apparent reason. Yeah, just keep talking. Um, the patent included to Thomas the exclusive right to establish and collect a formal postal tax on official documents. And Thomas appointed Andrew Hamilton, the governor of New Jersey, to be his deputy postmaster. Okay, just just to avoid a little historical confusion here. Now, this, the tax that he's talking about there is not the stamp tax. No. Because the stamp tax was an actual, like what you'd think of as a rubber stamp that went on all official documents. So this tax would actually be the tax on the postage. Yes. Just to avoid confusion. Um, and it, and so it was in February, 1692, the first postal service in America hit the ground running. 
The men tried to establish a post office in each town in Virginia, and it wasn't long after that Massachusetts and the other colonies started passing postal laws and the post office system was established. But this was the British Crown's postal service. Of course. Um, Thomas Neal's patent expired in 1710 when Parliament extended the English postal system to the colonies. The chief office was then established in New York City. And before the Revolutionary War, there wasn't much of a business, actually, much of business or government correspondence between the colonies. The majority of the mail was going back and forth was to counting houses and government offices in London. It wasn't a lot of dear Mary, grandma letter, the cows are doing good this year, whatever. It wasn't set up for that originally. However, oh Jebediah, once the revolutionary, once the revolution began, Philadelphia was the seat of the Continental Congress and the information hub of the new nation. Thanks to all the new laws, political intelligence, and military orders being shared, the postal system became a necessity. Oh, yeah. They have to get that info somewhere. It's not like they could send a text message. Which led to the overthrowing of the London-oriented Imperial Postal Service in 1774-1775. Well, that'd be right around what time you need to do that. Um, You also need some sardonics. I do. (laughs) The United States Post Office was created on July 26, 1775, by decree of the Second Continental Congress. And Benjamin Franklin headed it briefly, which worked well, because before the Revolution, Benjamin had been a colonial postmaster who managed the mail. So he knew how to do it already. It just was basically transitioning addresses. Correct. Um, (coughs) It actually was not until 1792 that the official post office was created. This office was able to provide a greatly expanded post network and guarantee the sanctity of personal correspondence. That's good. You don't want some mail carrier reading your letters about how your cows are doing. (laughs) Well, many different techniques were used in the following years as America grew in size. To cover long distances, the post office used a hub-and-spoke system with Washington as the hub and chief sorting center. However, by 1869, with over 27,000 local post offices to deal with, changes had to be made. 1869? Oh, that's after the gold rush already. I mean, you've got a lot of open space between California and St. Louis. Well, yeah. Where there's no major metropolitan areas. Sending it all back to Washington to be... You know they should have thought of? Getting some guys with some horses that rode really fast. I'm not discussing them. Yeah, I know. That's why I, you, you didn't even nod at me when I started talking, so I'm like, yep. They should have got some guys. Well, it actually changed to a sorting mail in route and specialized mail cars that were called railway post offices. Huh. Um, the post office actually aided in the expansion into the West by creating an inexpensive, fast, and convenient communication system. Well, that makes sense, though. You've got the the trains that can go back and forth, and you can pick up and drop off the correspondence. 
The post office aided in the expansion into the West by creating the inexpensive, fast, and convenient communication system. Um, the postal system also assisted in the expanding its control with the army, the control over the new Western territories. Because they were able to send orders and... Right. They could say this regiment needs to go to this reservation, this one needs to go to Hell on Wheels, this one needs to go... We were attacked right here, send us help. Right. Because the telegraph lines could be cut super easy. It wasn't something that was all that common. There are two wires running alongside the tracks. Somebody could wipe those out with an axe. They could climb the pole and cut them with a pair of snippers. It wasn't until in the 19th century, actually, that the post office was actually a major source of federal patronage. Actually? Actually. Um, Three-fourths of all federal civilian employees at this point worked for the post office. Well, you got a a lot of people moving west. You have a lot of people in the cities. You don't have automatic sorting machines or anything like that. That's a lot of reading and a lot of sorting. It was a big responsibility. Especially since, you know, they promised that sanctity of your private correspondence. Uh-huh. And on March 3rd, 1847, the first stamp issues were authorized by an act of Congress. Okay. Did you get into what they did before that? No, I did not. Actually, I read some stuff, but I decided that there was too much there because this is a huge... Well, yeah, this is not a small topic. I abbreviated down. Really? This is the condensed version. Um, The five cent stamp paid for a letter weighing less than one ounce and traveling less than 300 miles. And the 10 cent stamp was for deliveries over 300 miles and twice the weight of the five cent stamp. Pretty self-explanatory. The postal service just increased its rules that had to be set after this. Um, one being that it was prohibited to mail people. That was a thing, though. It was. Um, this actually came about in 1914 after four-year-old Charlotte May Pierstorf was mailed from her parents to her grandparents. And that's not the only... No, it wasn't. No. I've seen pictures. And while I kind of think that I'd like to mail my kids to their grandmother, they would just walk home because she's <laughs> like a block away now. It would be faster to just send them there on feet than try to mail them, because... <laughs> yeah, but by the time it takes the... You know, think about this. That might be a nice break, you know, if we could mail them. It would take, like, three days. Whereas if they walked over there, it would take three minutes. Uh, they wouldn't fit in our post office box. True story. <laughs> um, the post office department during World War One was monitoring foreign mail and acting as counter-espionage, thanks to the Espionage and Trading Enemy Acts. Simpler times get more complicated. And then we're going to take a huge jump. And it was in August 12th of 1970 that Richard Nixon signed the Postal Recognition Act, which replaced the cabinet-level post office department with a new federal agency, the United States Postal Service. That was a huge jump. <laughs> huge jump. Um, not a lot changed in between there, though. I suppose not. Um. And since the United States Postal Office issued the first stamp in 1847, over 4,000 stamps have been issued and over 800 people have been featured on them. Wow. Lots of people have been featured more than once, though. Beth, 
Who's your favorite stamp feature? Elvis. Elvis. He's only been featured twice. He's only been and featured twice. And I own twice. both sets. Doesn't the one have a pink background? And he's like kind of. Uh, he's wearing some pink. Oh, he's yeah. wearing some pink. What's the other one? It's a black and white actual photo. Oh, it is. It's not a drawn one. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, I don't have anything else to say. I mean. And this was a very abbreviated, the Postal Service, there was a lot of intrigue and... You know what else is abbreviated? Your name? Not my name. Hunter's Townley's name. Triple H. (laughs) Oh, you had to sneak that in there, didn't you? I almost forgot. Yeah. I thought we were going to get an episode through. I was was looking for a segue and you gave it to me. (laughs) Yep. The game. That's all. (laughs) God, it's a tradition. It's a stupid tradition, but it's still a tradition. All right, folks, on that note, now that we said Triple H, um, you can get in touch with us, actually, uh, on our Gmail account, uh, alkahunt at Gmail account. If you email us and you want to know our address and you want to send us some snail mail, we might consider it. You know, if you use an Elvis stamp, you get bonus points, and Beth will guaranteed read it on the air. Um, speaking of reading things on the air, we did have some we viewer did. feedback. And I'll let you be in charge of that. I actually have it ready to go here pretty much. Just give me one moment to pull it back up. Our wonderful listener, Coffee Dreams, sent us some more feedback. All right. Yep. And there it is. You've got it. And Coffee Dreams wanted to tell us howdy. I was sitting at one of those little tables Howdy. at Wall Drug in South Dakota back in 2010. I ordered a blackberry soda. Very strange tasting in a delightful sort of way. I enjoyed listening to Alcaha on Stitcher. The bubbles tickle my nose. Which Coffee Dreams has done an awesome job of giving us feedback. She has. We'd like to hear more from everybody else. We've got some new listeners from all sorts of places around the globe. Again... So, uh, if you want to get in touch with us via email, that's great. Otherwise, we do have a Facebook and a Twitter page. Alka Huh will pretty much be able to find us. Or Alka Huh Podcast, yep. Either way, you'll be able to locate us. We're on all your favorite podcasting services, you know, because you're listening. So, if you'd go ahead and give us a rating and a review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps the algorithm find us, and it makes us more prominent to other listeners. We don't want you to... We don't want you to keep us all to yourself. I mean, there's enough to go around. Yeah, share us with all your friends. But on that note, I'm EJ. I'm Beth. And we will see you next time.